You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and in our next episode, I'd like to go over the results of UFC Fight Night Stockholm, which took place this last past Saturday, June 1st. We're also going to go over a few fight announcements in the world of MMA, especially for the UFC Fight Night card taking place in San Antonio, Texas on July 20th. We have to go over a huge upset in the world of boxing, and also... We're going to give a little, go a little bit into depth on UFC 238. So I'm Double M. Let's step into the ring. So first off, guys, let's go over UFC Fight Night Stockholm. It was a really strong card. Took place in the afternoon since it was overseas. And I was really looking forward to the main event. Of course, Anthony Lionheart-Smith taking on Alexander Gustafsson. They're not really a contender fight because they both just lost to John Jones after lackluster performances from the both of them, Jones just pretty much shut him down. But I figured Anthony Smith had a lot more upside to him than what he showed in that fight, because you could see from his previous performances. And he he was able to come through in this fight and get the win. We'll go in-depth in that on that fight in a little bit. Also, we they had the co-main event between Jimmy Manoa and newcomer Alexander Rakic. And Rakic... It looks like he killed Jimmy Manoa. So, you know, he has a great look for a light heavyweight. I feel like he is one of the dark horses. I feel like it's Alexander Rakic, Johnny Walker, and maybe Luke Rockhold now since he moved up from middleweight to light heavyweight. He's got Jan Blahovic at UFC 239. So that should be a good fight, and I'm excited to see that because I'm going to go into depth on the Smith and Gustafson fight, but I have Rockhold factoring into what's next for the winner. So first off, let's talk about the Manua and Rakic fight. So it was really quick. I mean, I think it was like 30, 45 seconds. I mean, it was, it was over before it even started. So, you know, they were feeling each other out a little bit. Manua went for a looping left hook that if it connected, it could have taken Rakic out. But Rakic ended up throwing a right uppercut left hook and a left high kick right behind it. And just the second that left high kick landed, it was just perfectly placed right on the side of Jimmy Manoa's neck, and it just knocked him dead. Al Cold looked like he got hit with a freaking shotgun and just went down. It was awful. A really, really, really strong performance for Alexander Rakic, you know, coming in, blowing the door off the light heavyweight division, showing him that he's here to stay. I know he has a finish from uh, his last fight, I believe, I don't know who he finished, but I know it was violent, and this lives up to that violence again. So let's go over how he did it. So yeah, I said it was a right uppercut, a left hook, and a left high kick. And I'm always a big fan of throwing your kicks on the same side as your last punch. You know, TJ Dillashaw was really the first guy to bring that, you know, into the light with his Bang Muay Thai type of striking and his systems. But it doesn't have to be your lead kick. It could be your back kick as well. I like to do it where, you know, you throw a jab, a right hand. You lean over to the side with your right hand and follow with a right high kick over the top. And that's kind of what Rakic did in this fight. He threw the right uppercut. Manua kind of went to parry it away. He threw the left hook. And then, you know, Manua kind of leaned over to the side, almost like it looked like he was going to go for, like, the Philly shell to the to the shoulder, the shoulder roll to the Philly shell defense. But Rakic was able to step through on that right uppercut. And then when he threw the left hook, he was already in a southpaw stance. 
and then Manoa went to lean over to the left thinking it was coming from the right side, and he got hit right upside the neck with the left high kick. So, yeah, it's just the same side attacks. Same side attacks really give people trouble. It's a lot of confusion because you think it's coming, it's going to go left, right, right, left, right, left. But if you go right, right, you know, they think they lean to the right thinking you're going to to throw a strike from the left, and then you get hit with the high kick. It works well. I feel like we're going to see a lot more of it. I hope, you know, people come up with some new ways to incorporate it. Maybe, like, I know Chad Mendez did this, and it's not with kicks or anything, but he'd fake the takedown and come up with the right uppercut or come up with the uppercut just to get the Because when they go for the takedown, you know, they'll sprawl. They'll stop and try to go down, and he came up with the uppercut and lands that. You know, it's, it's those weird attacks that people don't normally see is what gives people trouble because everybody sees a jab, a cross, a left hook, a right hook, a right hand, a rear straight, a a leg kick, a body kick, and a high kick. It's just how you use them and how you change them to make them look different from what people normally see. Like I said, Dillashaw was one of the first people to use it. We saw Demetrius Johnson use it as well, a lot of switch stances and back and forth between the stances to confuse the opponents. Rakic did it in this fight, short and sweet, and got a huge KO. Can't wait to see what it holds, what the future holds for him. So let's go on to the main event. Anthony Lionheart Smith versus Alexander Gustafson. Both these guys coming in looking looking to make a statement and keep themselves up in the top of the division in the talk for not the next title shot, but maybe the title shot after that, after Santos and John Jones handle their business at 239. But yeah, you know, I thought Smith looked really good in this fight. He started off a little bit slow. But if you go back and if you watched the fight, which I don't know if you did, but Smith was trying to keep Gustafson against the fence because whenever Gustafson gets cornered, he likes to he likes to like roll his shoulder and then he'll like sprint. He'll run away. It's not he'll use footwork, you know, you know, side to side movement and shifts and stuff like that. But when you back him up, he likes to duck down, come out the back door and run to his side. But. Anthony Smith had a game plan for that. Every time he backed up Gustafson, he would throw like a lead hook, but he would loop it a little longer so it, it covered a little more distance. And then it would keep Gustafson kind of against the fence and not having him be able to keep his, uh, not being able to get off his game plan because he was always crowded. And when they were in the center of the cage, Gustafson tried to take a page out of John Jones' book. He threw a lot of front kicks to Anthony Smith's knees. And they were working. I mean, they landed a lot. I don't know if Smith checked more than one or two kicks, but I feel the one he did check in the first round cut up Gustafson's shin real bad. You know, just from the check, you know, knee on shin, it's always going to cut it up. But Smith, you know, was it wasn't he didn't do anything like super fast. But that's why I like Smith. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. He plods forward, you know, a little bit and tries to get your timing, and then it'll explode. And it's, he does, he's not a brawler or anything like that. He's very technical in the way he strikes. And he also likes to use the the lead hand. And a lot of people do this. When you see a high-level striker, they'll take their lead hand and they'll parry at the jab or they'll touch their, uh, their opponent's lead hand as well. You're touching the opponent's lead hand so that they can't fire off their combos. If you, if you control and give that lead hand something to think about, then you can come around it with a left hook or a right hook depending on what side you're on. Or, and you can fire off your strikes by keeping control of their lead hand. And Gustafson does this as well. You'll see him kind of parry out with the with the lead hand and then try to come up the middle with the uppercuts. 
And Smith even said in his post-fight interview that he was looking for that that rear uppercut whenever he would throw the jabs or the lead hooks because Gustafson has so much distance and range that he likes to use those long-range attacks. But Smith had a, had a game plan for it. You know, he always knew that the uppercut was coming, so he'd either parry it down or he'd back up a little bit and try to push off with the lead hand. But a, a big key to this fight for Smith was the pressure and keeping Gustafson against the fence. And when it was towards the middle of the cage, Gustafson had the upper hand. He would throw that lean over jab and then a jab up top, jab to the body and jab up top, you know, try to keep him away. And then he'd throw like a jab left hook and try to throw the uppercut. And then, like I said, those front kicks and side kicks to the knee, those always worked really well for him. But you could see that Smith was starting to get Gustafson figured out. He would keep, he would get him against the fence much more often. And when Gust, when Gustafson would try to circle out again, he'd throw those looping overhand punches to try and catch him on the exit. And then when he got him against the fence towards the end of the fight, I believe in the third round, he would hook. He threw like a like a jab cross and a body kick or a jab cross and a high kick against the fence, so Gustafson didn't have anywhere to go. And Gustafson did end up getting a takedown. He did a. It was more like a knee tap takedown transition to a body lock and then got the trip and took him down and got a little bit of success, but it was towards the end of the round. So Smith was able to get up, but let's go to the end of this fight. So Anthony Smith, if you look at, if you go back and look at the highlights or if you watch the fight, Gustafson tried to go for this trip, I believe like two or three times in the fight, he would go for the outside trip to the knee tap and then he tried to transition it. He had like the underhook and the overhook, and he tried to transition it to a judo toss or a hip toss and throw him over the top and kick his legs out. But he like got caught up in it and didn't do it the, the correct way. So when, when Gustafson went to do the hip toss, Smith grabbed the body lock and pushed him up against the fence because Gustafson was off balance. And then that's where Smith jumped on him, took the back, got the hooks in. And, you know, he put his hooks in perfectly. And Gustafson was on his feet, and he was trying to shake off Smith. But Smith got underneath both of Gustafson arms, Gustafson's arms, and locked it up. So it was like a, it was like a gable grip almost. I don't know if he had a gable grip. I didn't see it, you know, that close up. But he had the grip, and he would hold on to him. And Gustafson tried to get up, but Smith kept pushing and pushing and leaning forward and pushing his weight down. And he eventually got Gustafson to flatten out. And the key to this flattened out position, I believe, for Anthony Smith was when he flattened him out, he transitioned from the normal hooks to the body lock. If you get a body lock on somebody on the ground, of course you can do it from their back when you're like on your butts and you're, you're in the seated like seatbelt position where you have your arm over the right shoulder and your arm, the other and your left arm under their shoulder and you grab them like a seatbelt. That's, that's good as well. But if you have a body lock, which is a body triangle. I'm sorry. I said body locks. So you have the body triangle. And if you get them on their stomach and you're in the body triangle, that is so much pressure on the gut and the abdomen of your opponent that it's just taking the air out of them already. So in you pushing your hips down to get that pressure, that's what Smith did. He grabbed it, transitioned to the body triangle, pushed him down. And Gustafson just kind of gave up the position. And once that happened, it was almost like a repeat of the how he lost in the John Jones fight just a little bit different in terms of positioning but he pushed him down on the body triangle 
and landed a few shots on the ground and then was able to sneak in the rear naked choke and get the submission. And Anthony Smith's right back back up in title contention. One more win, I believe, and he'll get the next title shot against Jones because I think, I think Santos gives Jones trouble, but I still think Jones is able to figure him out and beat him. So, yeah, that was that was really good. Overall, the card was pretty solid, um, better than I expected. And, yeah, so that's it for Fight Night Stockholm. Again, UFC 238 this Saturday. If you didn't, please go back and listen to my last episode. I did a deep dive on the prelims and the main card of UFC 238, so go back and look at that. You can see what I think, how I think the fight's going to play out, what the key game plan is for each opponent to implement in order to get the victory. So, yeah, go back and listen to that for sure. Also, we had a few fight announcements over the last few days for UFC San Antonio on July 20th in San Antonio, Texas. You had a lightweight bout between James the Texecutioner Vic and Dan the Hangman Hooker. Uh, Vic holds the record of 13 wins and 3 losses. Hooker, 17 wins, 4 losses. That's going to be a great fight. Both of them coming over losses. James Vic, of course, that vicious first round KO against Justin Gaethje and Dan Hooker with that unbelievable show of toughness, but just got ripped apart in terms of kicking by the kicking game of Edson Barbosa and ended up getting finished in that fight. And then you have a heavyweight bout between uh, Andre Arlovsky and Ben Rothwell. Uh, it's their second fight, I believe, they fought before. This is their rematch. Super, you know, cool for the fans, I guess. Give a little bit of nostalgia, but I'm not interested in that. You know, heavyweight doesn't really do much for me unless Stipe is fighting. I really like to see Stipe. And, yeah, so that's it. Uh, Ray Borg is going to come back, trying to going to try to get his first win at in the bantamweight division against the newcomer Gabriel Silva, who holds a record of seven wins, no losses. So, yeah, that card should be good. I don't know if anything else is mentioned for that card. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe that's where the um, – that might be where Ingano and G- JDS got moved to, but I think that was that's the card after this card. So, yeah, another huge upset in the world of combat sports. Anthony Joshua suffering his first defeat to the hands of Andy Ruiz Jr., uh, getting a KO in the seventh round, I believe. It was either the seventh, yeah, seventh round. You know, the key, I, I don't watch boxing, you know, too much unless I like to watch Anthony Joshua. I love Vasily Lomachenko. I can't wait for his next fight. I might go in a little in-depth on that. You know, I'm not I'm not huge into breaking down the technical side of boxing, but, you know, for, for Lomachenko, I'll do it because He's an amazing fighter, and I love the way he uses unorthodox footwork and shifts and angles to get off his game plan. But Andy Ruiz Jr., you know, I feel like people thought he was going to come in and get dominated by Anthony Joshua, and I feel like Joshua thought the same thing as well. He kind of just figured, oh, let's get past this fight, and then we'll get the winner of Fury and Wilder, or we'll fight somebody else until that fight's over. But... The key for Ruiz Jr., I didn't see the fight live. I watched the highlights. He got on the inside against Joshua and just roughed him up. It, was a, it, was, it wasn't super technical, even though Ruiz Jr. is a technical type of striker. He does, like, he does have you know pretty good defense on the outside and the inside. But he did get dropped by Joshua, and I feel like 
that was kind of the the nail in the coffin for Anthony Joshua. He dropped him and was like, okay, this guy's nothing. I'm going to finish him whenever I want. And then Ruiz Jr. just ended up figuring out Joshua's patterns and his movements and his certain combinations and then getting on the inside and landing overhand rights and left hooks. That's how he hurt Joshua a lot of the times. He would get on the inside and throw an overhand right to a left hook, and he threw a lot. I think that was how he actually got the finish in like the fourth or fifth knockdown, but Joshua was on Queer Street at, before that, just getting dropped and hit with heavy shots, didn't have his legs under him, got him up against the ropes or in the corner, and threw like an overhand right and a solid left hook and dropped Anthony Joshua. Joshua did get up, but the ref just saw enough. And we got a new heavyweight champion of the world, Andy Ruiz Jr. He got that sponsors from uh, Snickers. But I think it's great. You know, we've they could have made Joshua versus Wilder or Joshua versus Fury or any mix of those three guys a long time ago, and they didn't do it. You know, Eddie Hearn, who is the manager of Anthony Joshua, I believe. I'm not 100% sure. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But he could have – they could have made – any mixture of those fights way earlier than they do. But this is how boxing works. They have them build up their name off of less, less caliber fighters so that they can build their records up. And then, oh, the fight's so much bigger. It's the same thing with the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight. Even though we got the fight, it was so far past when we wanted the fight that it wasn't really that important. Of course, everybody wanted to see it. But if it was back when they were in their prime, then, you know, it would be so much better. But this is the same case. They wanted to wait and wait and wait and beat a dead horse until they finally could make the fight. And now look what happened. Andy Ruiz Jr. didn't care what your plans were. He came in and knocked out Anthony Joshua. So now he's in the mix. And the plan, if it was going to be Fury versus Joshua or Wilder versus Joshua, it's not going to happen now. Maybe down the road, if Joshua gets a couple more wins and depending on how the the rematch between Fury and Wilder goes, you know, you wait. This is boxing. They give them tomato cans to beat up to try to build their name up when they could be making the fights that actually matter. And then something, somebody comes in and knocks you off your little train track to success. And now what? Now what's Joshua going to do? Who's he going to fight now? Another tomato can that might be able to knock him out or who they thought was a tomato can. And then Andy Ruiz Jr. said, uh-uh, son, and knocked, him at, knocked, that, knocked that ass out. So... This is the problem with boxing. This is why I don't follow it. They have all these top-level talented guys facing guys who aren't meant to be there. Of course, you know, they do make the occasional good fight. Maybe Danny Garcia and who Mikey who fought? Was it Danny Garcia and Mikey Garcia? Or so I don't remember the exact fight, but something like that. Every once in a while they'll make good fights like Jorge Linares and Vasil Lomachenko. That was a decent fight, and Lomachenko got hurt in that fight, but he still was able to come through. You know, that's the key. You have to make these fights when it matters. Don't wait until you bite yourself in the ass and you can't make the fight anymore because somebody loses who you didn't think was going to lose. So that's it for boxing, honestly. So we went over the UFC San Antonio. Again, UFC 238 this weekend. Can't wait for the card. Go out of your way to watch it if you're going to be there. Hope you guys have fun. But that fight, that fight card is going to be awesome. And in terms of other news, I mean, there hasn't been a ton of news since the last episode that we did. But let's get into some wrestling. You know, I watched Monday Night Raw, and there was a good match with 
the Usos and Roman Reigns versus the Revival and Drew McIntyre. I thought they had a good six-man tag. I'm happy to see that the Revival are actually getting used, but I feel like they're doing this because they don't want them to leave to go to AEW. Just like Gallows and Anderson, I feel like they're on their way out the door. And one thing that's really interesting to me, and it was on social media. It was it was at a live event. But there's a picture that Aleister Black posted, and Buddy Murphy posted one as well, that Aleister Black faced Buddy Murphy in a match at a live event. Why are they not on TV? Could you please tell me what the point is to this? You have these matches at a live event. Dude, Buddy Murphy versus Aleister Black is a perfect feud to get them. I don't know if you should do it right away, to be honest. It's a good feud, but maybe like when they build their name up a little more. Aleister Black obviously has his name built up more than Buddy Murphy does on the main roster. But a match between those two. I would pay money to see that because you know it's going to be fantastic. They both have hard-hitting, fast-paced, high-flying styles, and they're both going to just beat the crap out of each other, and I love it. So I'm hoping we see them tonight on SmackDown. Buddy Murphy and Aleister Black, they need to be featured. You brought them over in the Superstar Shakeup, and they haven't done a damn thing since then except Aleister Black doing those little promos, which I like. But again, use them. Use the person, please. They're there to be used. Why are you keeping them in the shadows? Like, I, I really don't understand. Raw was pretty slow, to be honest. Like I said, I liked that six-man tag. And then you had Brock Lesnar teasing this cash-in. Here's what's going to happen. Everybody's like, okay, he's going to cash in on Seth Rollins. Oh, he's going to do it tonight. He was never going to do it last night. I'm sorry if you believed it, okay, but he was never. that was never the plan. The plan is for him to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase on Kofi Kingston this Friday at Super Showdown from Saudi Arabia. That's what's going to happen. They're making you think he wants to cash in on Seth Rollins. Oh, Rollins, I'm, I'm there. I'm going to cash in on Monday. Oh, get ready. We have the contract ready. Oh, I got a whole year? Yeah, he's, he's taking his mind away, your mind away from the SmackDown brand. This isn't a Raw exclusive briefcase. He can cash it in on SmackDown. So here's what happens. Kofi Kingston beats Dolph Ziggler in a, in, a, in a hell of a match. I don't see them having a bad match. And then Brock Lesnar comes out, suplexes Kofi Kingston to death, cashes in the briefcase, and beats Kofi Kingston. Now, I'd love to see him cash in and have Kofi Kingston maybe get a roll-up or something and win just to screw Brock Lesnar because I think that would, build, that would help Kofi build up as a, as a star. But... I don't think that's what's going to happen. I thought at first that that was where they were maybe going to go with Kofi. You know, he's already has that against all odds title reign. Why not have him beat Lesnar when he tries to cash in? But I feel like, yeah, he's going to go over to SmackDown. They want him over on SmackDown anyway for when they move over to Fox and FS1 in the fall. Um, so I feel like that's what's going to happen. He's going to cash in on Kofi Kingston on Friday at the Saudi Arabia show and probably win the WWE title and move over to SmackDown. I mean, he doesn't have to face Rollins again. What's the point? Like, he doesn't need the briefcase to get a rematch anyway, so why not use it to move over to the new, a new platform and a new show? But this Saudi Arabia show, you know, the card is pretty good. I'm not going to do predictions because, you know, it's not a huge show, but we've got Goldberg versus The Undertaker. We've got Andrade Cien Almas versus The Demon Finn Balor, which is going to be an amazing match. We've got... Roman Reigns and Shane McMahon, which I'm excited to see. We've got Dolph Ziggler versus Kofi Kingston. Probably going to be an amazing match. 
should be good nonetheless. You've got Baron Corbin versus Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. Don't really care. I'm sure it'll be good. Seth doesn't really have bad matches. Uh, is AJ Styles on the show? I feel like he doesn't have a match on the show. You've got Triple H and Randy Orton, which I'm not excited, but I, I, I am a little bit intrigued to watch this match. They haven't wrestled each other in a long time. I'm sure they know how to work together. They've had a bunch of matches, so I'm sure it'll be good. What else is on this show? What else? We got that 50-man battle royal, I believe. So I'm always in for battle royals and a 50-man battle royal. Hopefully we get some NXT guys in there. But yeah, that show should be good. I feel like we covered a lot, everything we, we meant to cover on this show, except, oh yeah, one more thing. So Jimmy Manoa announced his retirement. I'm so thank God when you suffer, you know, four or five knockouts in a row, it's, it's real hard to, you know, want to come back. And I know you, they always want to, you know, he's a warrior. He thinks he can be the top of the division, but I'm glad that maybe his coaches talked him into it or his family. He's had back to back to back to back, terrible, terrible knockouts. This Alexander Rakic KO was awful. His knockout against Thiago Santos was terrible. Took so much brain damage in that fight. I'm surprised that his brain didn't start oozing out of his ears. And then he also had that knockout to Vulcan Uzdemir where he got clipped right away, but he bounced his head off the mat from so from like standing up on the feet. It's just bad, and I'm happy for him. I hope he finds something to do in his new life. Maybe he becomes a coach or a commentator, but I hope he finds something to do and – I wish him all the best, and I'm happy that he retired. I feel like it was time. Should have retired three fights ago probably with all the damage he's taken, but I'm glad you know he took the opportunity to retire now. So, yeah, that's it, guys. I feel like we covered everything. Um, next episode, I'm not sure what it's going to be on. I'm trying to get a guest on for next week, so we'll see how that works out. But, yeah, guys, I'm Double M, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a good night, everybody, all right?